everyone, and welcome to What's Up with Pastor Chuck. Today we have a guest speaker with us. It's Dr. David Smith, and him and Pastor Chuck talk about some of the myths about suicide and depression in light of some recent events in our community. So stay tuned. Hey, everybody. Welcome to What's Up with Pastor Chuck. And we are going to be talking about something that is uh, more serious, more sober. Um, And so normally I like to joke around on here. There won't be any of that today. Um, The reason is, is um, with what happened, and if you're not aware of what happened, a young pastor that we love who came out of our Crossroads family, Jared Wilson, uh, he knew he had depression and was being treated for it. He knew um, that he needed counseling, and he was in counseling, and uh, was very honest about his struggle and very honest about his pain. Started a, a, an incredible organization called Anthem of Hope to help people who struggle with suicidal ideation. And um, um, Jared took his life, um, and and and. We are all rocked by that. We all love him, love the family. So um, Tracy decided that, that we ought to continue the dialogue and continue reaching out and continue getting good information to you. And there's no one better to do that with than Dr. David Smith, who is one of my dear friends. He also is the one who oversees my counseling. Uh, and I don't mean counseling me. He can't do that ethically because we're friends. Um, he probably wants to. Yes. Uh, yeah, yes. yes. <laughs> but... Um, the bottom line is David supervises me, so I know there's nobody better, and I've thought that all along. I thought one of the greatest joys, I don't know if David knows this, is I dreamed he could be my supervisor when I started into mm. this, so uh, that was really, really cool. But um, we've all been reaching out to David constantly on this because he is a credible psych, um, Christian psychologist, uh, very strongly Christian, and very clearly a great psychologist. And uh, believe it or not, for some of you, the two can go together really well. Um, but David, um, I know that you um, have a concern about this area. We see it, the numbers are rising. Um, and right now, I was just looking at the stats again. Suicide is the number two cause of death amongst teenagers in the United States. Uh, that's actually a new number. It used to be down the list. And in the United Kingdom, it's number one cause of death amongst teenagers. And uh, you feel like that number is going to go up. Definitely, yeah. I mean, just to, to speak to your stat there, too, you know, number one death of adolescents is accidents. Yeah. And so sometimes even suicides, just for family reasons and things like that, they report them as accidents. And so I actually think that number's greater uh, than that is. But yes, it's been going up for decades, literally decades. I mean, just inversely going up as the trends as people are uh, finding less hope and uh, getting more depressed and uh, really being more isolated. Yeah, um, one of the things that um, I would love for you to share, because you shared it just before we started, is uh, the link between depression and suicide, but the accurate link. Yes. Yeah, it's it's true. Again, suicide is difficult to study for obvious reasons, but that we find that uh, the best research out there shows that 90% of people commit suicide are indeed have been diagnosed with depression of some type. And uh, that could be major, minor, uh, various dysthymias. But, uh, but also, the, but those who actually take their life, I mean, actually those who are depressed, only 5% of those actually end up taking their life. So again, if you take your life, there's a high pro- uh, proportion of 80% or 90% that you'll be depressed, but only 5% of people who are depressed actually take their life. So it's, it's still, even though the numbers are growing, over, overall, it's still uh, significant. People deal, definitely deal with depression, deal, work through it, get hope, get help, and uh, have very good lives, actually. 
So we're talking about a minor part of the population, but when it happens, it's horrific, as we know. Yeah, I think that number is important because um, we want to be aware, we want to watch, but I think when someone's depressed, we don't want to freak out. I think we should ask. By the way, I think right. it's really important we ask if they're thinking that way. Yeah, it's very important, uh, something that you know I do all the time, uh, meeting with people, because the reality is a lot of people have suicidal thoughts. Um, they have so just intrusive thoughts or have thoughts, but that, that's all that's all that happens. It goes that far. So that worries some people. So it's good to talk to someone if you are having suicidal thoughts, what that's about. And the myth also is, by the way, Chuck, is that if I talk about it, it's going to make it worse. And that's a lie. I mean, we're only sick as our secrets. And so it's really important that, that if, if you sense someone's uh, thinking about it or has, has made gestures or kind of talk about it, that you invite them to talk about it more. That's very helpful. Yeah, I think that, you know, um one of the things that I've been intrigued by is you're right, there's a lot of myths out there. And that one of, if I bring it up, I might put that in their mind. Yeah. And uh, it, by the way, it's not true, 100% not true. Yeah. Um, but also, I think without a doubt, that might even cause us, I don't know if you agree, it seems like if we're afraid to talk about that and we think there's an issue, we may be shutting down other areas of conversation. So now nobody's getting help. Yeah, and then we're increasing isolation. And that's what we don't want. We want we want connection with people that are feel, feeling suicidal. We, we don't want disconnection. We want connection, and it only takes literally. I think I think I've read anywhere for 15 seconds to uh, 90 seconds if someone has, is suicidal to get them to not be suicidal. It just takes that quick of a time to shift off that thought. That's why it means being available is so important not to have. So yeah, so it's important to share that, and it just diffuses it typically. Yeah, you know what's so interesting to me is what you just brought up is that um, there, and of course, again, it's tough to study this, but I was in two different certification programs on this, and both of them brought out the idea that we can get people off the ledge. Yes. Uh, we, we, there are ways to help them uh, curb that uh, from happening. And so you would know that's true. Yeah, very much so. Matter of fact, if you if you know somebody who is suicidal or you felt that way, you want to connect with someone on a level in which when you have it, an impulse or that thought, you just text them or connect with them, call them or, or see them if you can to be able to get that connection right away. And that almost always draws you away from it almost always draws you away from it. It's kind of like in, in AA, you know, you have a list of people you call when you want to go have a drink or do drugs, and just connecting with someone soothes you, and it really takes away that urge. Yeah. Um, one of the things I was reading, I'd love your comment on this, is that um, they said one of the things that people who uh, reach this place where they're thinking about it, at least if they haven't actually crossed over to going to actually make an attempt, uh, is that they feel like they're a burden. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think one of the myths out there is that suicide's selfish, where what um, I was taught is it's actually to the person, it's not the right way to go. Nobody thinks it's the right way to go, but they're not really being selfish. They feel like they're a burden to everybody mm -hmm. around them. And so do you feel that's true? And if true, how do we help people not feel like a burden? Yeah, I, I think it goes both ways uh, on that one because you're right. I mean, from our vantage point, looking to them, it looks like the ultimate, uh, the ultimate selfish act. But them looking outward, just like they don't want to burden us with it, or else they feel like they have overburdened already, and there's been no uh, reprieve, and so then they go ahead and do that too. So again, when you're working with people or, or know someone, you want to let them know it's not a burden. You could carry it, your burden, and you want to carry it in a healthy way. You're not owning it for them, but you want to be able to be there to, for them. Do you all see what's going on for them? Try to get at what's bothering them. If it is a biological cause or an environmental cause or, or a situational cause, something like that, to be able to help them understand. And you have to be a therapist to do that. You just have to be curious and ask questions. And don't be afraid to ask questions.
Yeah, yeah. And interesting, Galatians says to bear one another's burdens. So when yes. the church is being the church, then right. we, we want people to be free to talk about things they're facing, but then not see that as the burden. We see that as actually the honor that they're bestowing on us to help them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one of the things that um, would be worth noting is if you um, were to, to, to see somebody, uh, well, actually, before I do that, I want to ask this question. I think sometimes also there's a misunderstanding uh, that when someone's commits suicide, we almost act like they know what they're doing. Uh, but neurologically, and that's one of your fields, that may not be the case. They may not be living in reality. They may not actually have um, complete uh, ability to make, well, obviously they're not making good choices. So, and sometimes that's neurological, right? Yeah, what, uh, what we believe happens uh, from people who've attempted and then come back so they don't re- either remember, they had like a dissociative experience at that time, or they're so overwhelmed with grief that they just felt like, if you can imagine a tunnel that's closing in on them, and there's just no escape except for what they see is that only choice that they have. And it's a very much a disconnect from everything else that's going on. They forget that they have children, they have maybe a wife, they have a husband, they have a, pa- a family, and, they for- and, and in that moment, and it's usually very brief, that window's very brief, that's why if we could intervene at that time, we could almost always uh, save them. Uh, but that very brief, they're disconnected from any kind of really rational thought, and the only answer they see is to end their life. And that's a very, very hopeless and incredibly sad place to be. Yeah, and I think what I'm going to, too, is that, you know, um, we talk about an age of accountability because mm-hmm. people have to know enough to be accountable to God, and I'm not so sure uh, there's accountability there. I, I'm not so sure they're neurologically um, you know, are able to actually make good choices any longer. And no, I, I would agree. It, it's it's similar to addictions, uh, whatever the addictions being things like that. There's a point almost of like no return. That's why we're always supposed to be accountable and open and transparent. And then when we start going into secret or we start closing down, then we neurologically and even spiritually, I'd say, are just shunning and shutting things out. And in a place that at some point there's like no, there, there is no choice. This is what I must do. Because it's almost... Not always, but it's done with determination almost. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Because the reason why I say it is because so many times it's portrayed suicide in the media as like this gamesmanship or like, you know, like, should I, should I not? But when you reach that point, Chuck, it's, it's, not, even, it's not even a question. It's not even a question. So um, what are the warning signs that you would look for and that everyone should look for so that we can intervene and, ha- and create, first of all, the discussion and hopefully a way out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the warning signs are, uh, first and foremost, is uh, uh, if, they're, if they're depressed and if they're beginning to isolate, that's always a problem. If they're beginning to even joke about it or talk about it in some ways, that's, uh, that's another problem. Because I never let my f- <laughs> friends, if I had any that were suicidal or, or patients, joke about it. If, when they joke about it, everything stops and we talk very seriously about it. So if you have someone who's joking about ending their life or think it'd be great to be in the arms of Jesus, so to speak, that's not a joke. I would really inquire and become curious more about that. And so, and then uh, saying goodbye is kind of a big one too, which is interesting. All the things I'm going to say, I don't think Jared showed any of those things. Right. Just, I mean, to speak to him specifically, but uh, that I'm aware of at least, and I can't speak too specific. But, but the, uh, getting rid of possessions is another one. Um, again, isolation and uh, notes, leaving notes, um, and then changing, aberrant change of behavior where it seems like the things that would bring them some kind of pleasure they're not doing anymore. So they're isolating themselves from people and from events and things that actually give them a sense of connection would be another big one. 
Okay, yeah. Um, one I spotted out too, the CDC says to watch for if they sleep too little or sleep too much. Yeah, that's more the depression signs, but those are always happening too. The depression is if you sleep too much or sleep too little, then that's a sign of someone's what I call couch surfing. They have no energy. Adenonia is the big word for nothing. Things that used to bring you pleasure don't bring you pleasure anymore. Um, you... Um, so the sleeping thing, the eating thing is another one. You could be start eating a lot, not eating at all. So some of those what we call vegetative things that happen to us that affect our body, we just start shutting down. So, yeah. So now you're in the you've you have enough the, uh, concern, enough signs to show concern, and you begin the conversation. What are some questions you'd ask? I'd ask, you know, what's going on for you? How you, you know, it seems like things are different. I would, I would just take what you see as observable facts and just put them to them. Like, man, it seems like you know, you used to come out with us all the time. You're not coming out with us anymore. You know, it seems like you, you know, you're sleeping a lot more than you used to be. What's happening for that? You know, and 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 go deeper. Don't let it. It's like, well, I'm just tired. You know, you know. Well, what are you tired about? You used to have a lot of energy. You don't have energy anymore. And then is it okay to be able to just say, you know, I'm just really concerned for you. You seem really bummed. Can you share with me what's happening? And if you can't share with me, who would you want to share it with? You know, we could find a pastor, we could talk to someone, you know, a parent or something that we talk to about. So really pressing in on that aberrant behavior that you're seeing and not let it just be uh, a simple answer to, but really allow them, love them enough to ask deeper and deeper questions. Yeah. Now also, um, what do we do? Do we assess the idea that they actually have the means to commit suicide? Do we start asking those kind of questions? I think it's okay to ask that, uh, one, and I'll just share what I, what I would do is if I say someone is like uh, what happened the other day, that someone said well, they're feeling suicidal, okay, well, you know, first of all, I want you to know that that's not unusual. You know, people feel suicidal when they feel hopeless or they just seems like that's something to do uh, as, as a means of alleviating or ameliorating pain. So uh, what would that look like for you committing suicide? Well, I don't have, and, and you know, this person said, oh, I don't have any idea. I just have thought about it. Okay, well, that's a, a more safer kind of person to be with. You know, and then I may say, well, do you have access to lethal means? By the way, men typically are take more lethal means than women. Um, not that it all ends up being lethal, but men typically go up by hanging or shooting. Women are typically more medication pills, things like that. But, um, and so there, there, there be a sense of like, if there is a means available to them, I'd ask them, have they thought about doing that? Okay. And if they have at all, or I would probably look at trying to secure that. Now that's a tough thing to do as a individual. What I would do is I would call the police and let them know I'm calling the police and out of love I'm calling the police and they would go and like secure weapons or things like that or I'd have a parent or a spouse or someone take care of the pills if there's multiple pills or things like that. So it's okay to ask those things because people sometimes have vivid uh, expressions of it. And a common one is I just take the car, I'm driving in the car and I just veer off to the right and hit the median. Okay, I mean that's, and that would be ruled as an accident of course, but that would be a one common means of, of someone taking their life. And then, uh, and so I think it's good to do it. Now we can't take cars from people and things like that, but it just allows them to be able to express it more because you want to get down to not just uh, how sad they are, what's happening for them, but how likely it is that they're actually going to do that. That's what you're trying to assess as, as much as you can. Yeah, and I would say that um, nobody's foolproof, that's for sure. But if you um, were out there and you saw, I'm starting to get these warning signs and I think they should be assessed. Um, I would say also get a, ask if they'd be willing to go with you to somebody oh, yeah, who can do that. Definitely, yeah. You know, because I know you do that. You assess right. them. We have pastors here who can mm -hmm. help do that. Um, you know, and so we we have options available where people mm -hmm. can come and sit, and we could really kind of walk them through. 
Yes. I, I'd even say, Chuck, if you don't feel comfortable asking questions I just have said, then to then tell someone else, like a pastor or a friend, that would be okay with asking those kind of questions. And again, don't worry about like what they're going to think of you. You love them enough to do what you think is best for them because you're doing it in love, not out of gossip or anything else like that. So yeah, if you can't ask the questions yourself, grab someone who will and do it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And then um, now it comes to probably one of those issues that we need to deal with and that a lot of people um, start saying that you know when someone's committed suicide, that's the unforgivable sin. Uh, and so um, one of the things that we know is there's nowhere in the Bible that says that. I mean, Samson's going to hell then, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Got out of the Hall of Fame of Faith quick, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and one of the things our church values is we don't add to Scripture. Right. We just think it's always wrong when we put man-made opinion or tradition in place of what the Bible says. Um, and so what we want to say is this: when this issue comes up, it's not the time for right. any of us to be judgmental. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think one of the cruelest things we've seen is when people who are, call themselves Christians get out there espousing a view that isn't biblical, right. uh, is very judgmental, and, and shows a, really a lack of care for the people who are left behind. Yeah, it's very insensitive, and I think that's part of the reason why people are feeling so depressed and isolated, Chuck, because we could be so quick to condemn, we could be so quick to judge, and as opposed to what our Lord wants us to do is just to love and love always, and, and that's not the time to get into a theological discussion with something that emotional. And I agree with you 100%. That's not the unpardonable sin. Suicide, God really believes that you know you're in a place and you're hurting and you did it for whatever you did but that is he he forgave that on the cross because he knew it was going to happen when he's hanging on the cross and so he definitely forgives us of those things no one that does that is going to going to hell if they knew jesus prior to that that's for sure yeah and that's the key they have to know the lord right but knowing the lord doesn't guarantee this won't happen or won't no. come up it doesn't guarantee there won't be um mental health battles mm -hmm. that uh, people fight Right, that's so true. I mean, I give the analogy of my brother who's a juvenile diabetic and he loves the Lord with all his heart and soul and mind. He's served the church for 50 years. He's you know, in his 60s and his, he's had a couple open heart surgeries. His eyes, he's had multiple surgeries and he's prayed like crazy for relief. But guess what? All the prayers in the world hasn't fixed his pancreas. I'm not saying God can't fix his pancreas, but he's going to die, a, you know, death of um, all problems from the complications of diabetes. And it's the same with mental health. You know, I want you to pray for the depression to be lifted. I want you to work on having depression lifted. But the reality is our, our faith in Christ is not that he heal us as much as our faith is that he is sufficient to carry us through anything that we go through. Yeah, so true, so true. And I think it's really important to say right now, actually based on what you just said, is that um, if you or someone you know is struggling with depression or if you or someone you know is struggling with anxiety, um, you, David, as a professional, know that help is available. Yes. Like they can actually get real help. And there's great healing, by the way. There's great healing. And I mean, there are such great therapies out there, both uh, psychological and medical therapies, that is just amazing. We're at the best time in our life for dealing with this tragic mental illness and depression and anxiety, but you have to get the help and do the work. Just showing up in my office doesn't heal you. Yeah. Just coming to church doesn't heal you. You know, it takes the act of prayer, the act of uh, changing of the way that you think and, and engaging in things that may be uncomfortable, being around other people and sharing your story and in involving yourself in a life group or a group to that people to surround you and, and sharing yourself. That's hard when you don't want to do that. But that also cures you. 
it also, I mean, it really does. Yeah. And you know what's interesting? You actually have been um, in your field for a long time. Uh, quite, how, when did you start? When did you get your PhD? Got my PhD in 1987. Okay, so in 87, the church wasn't as open to embracing Christian psychology. Not uh, at all. Yeah, in 1987, <laughs> people were afraid to admit they were going to a counselor or therapist. Right. Uh, and so now there's been a healthy change. And we and I see, uh, by the way, what you do is a spiritual gift called exhortation, mm -hmm. uh, where you're actually coming alongside somebody and exhorting them based on biblical values, which you use. Um, but does it feel better today that we're finally seeing the church and society open up to, to dealing with this in a more open way? Oh, it's totally better. When I was doing my studies, you know, if I said as a Christian, a psychologist, I was rebuked by the church. If I said I'm a psychologist who happens to be a Christian in the, in the psychology field, I'd be rebuked as being a nut. And so now it's like it's totally, you know, okay. So yes, they have been able to integrate the uh, big word now for uh, integrate faith and, and psychology and seeing and throwing some of the things out that basically aren't good, but basically always holding to scripture and seeing how much and how beautiful scripture is just coming alive as we learn more about, as you know, the brain and the way the brain can change is where we thought science when I was in school, it didn't change. It was rather fixed. You know, it's like, okay, well, now we realize there's neuroplasticity and changes just like scripture said it would. And it does. And so it's just been beautiful. But yes, it's so much open now. There's no shame, at least that I see as there was back then. Yeah, and I do too. I think, you know, how does someone bear their, you know, uh, come out and confess their needs right. or share their needs in a world that actually shames or attacks them or belittles them? And, and uh, you know, we don't need to see that. By the way, and of course, I'm going to go back to Jared. You're right. Uh, nothing that we know about Jared shows that he manifested any of the signs. Right. All the people around him could not have cared for him more right. and wanted to be uh, uh, there for him more. So. Uh, I think that's important. But I also think another thing we're saying is that he was a pastor. He was one of the best pastors in the country, and even pastors struggle with this. Right. And so um, I know you, uh, I never, you would never name a name, but I know you've even been used by God to touch pastors' lives who are able to go to you in safety uh, and be able to be cared for. Yeah, I, I've had the honor of being able to do that because it, it doesn't, depression, as you know, uh, Pastor Chuck, and anxiety doesn't have any boundaries for, you know, levels of economics or of education or anything. I mean, there's a, there's a strong part of biology that hits us that is important to accept because sometimes you just got to have, like my brother, pancreas doesn't work, so you need insulin. And sometimes with depression, you need medication. And But sometimes it's hard for us to break through the stereotypes, like we're weak or we're not we're not okay or we're not we have enough faith because we have to take Prozac or something like that. And that's just, I believe, a lie from the pit of hell. And so we have to change that thinking. And, um, and sometimes very spiritual people have a hard time changing that thinking. Sometimes they're slowest to change that thinking because they really want to pray. And I want to pray with them to get healing. But um, I think God also allows people like me and others in our field to be able to help people in amazing ways with either medication and or therapy. Yeah, I'll tell you something fun to know. And I, I don't know if I, the fun's the right word. I'm going to say it anyway, fun, because I'm an Enneagram 7. Yes. But um, you know what? I've, over the years of being a pastor and a Christian, have seen God uh, more than one occasion heal somebody physically in the moment. I have never seen them heal them emotionally in the moment. 
And I don't know, uh, I'm just telling you that's been my experience. I have seen, though, people come alongside, love people, joining them on the journey, and them come to a place of healing. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's because God works better that way. He works better with people uh, when he becomes the great physician that takes them through. Jesus Mm -hmm. does that for them. Very true. But thank you for being with us. And thank you for all the wisdom and, and help you give to Crossroads. And by the way, if you're struggling with suicide and you just don't know what to do, the, one of the great things to do is call 1-800-273-TALK. Just start there, and uh, that's a place where you can actually get the beginning of help, and you don't want to sit in isolation. The other is our church would love to be available to be with you and care for you and uh, guide you to the right place of help and healing. And uh, all the Crossroads family over the next few years, we're going to more than ever uh, come alongside people who are dealing with these kinds of issues and be a place of safety and love and care. And so as we end today, I hope that you love the church more than ever and love Jesus more than ever. And I want to say this, I love my church because our church is a place committed to people being able to safely be real about what they're facing and have a place to belong as they join through that journey. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us today with What's Up with Pastor Chuck. And if you have any questions about the topics that Pastor Chuck and Dr. David Smith talked about, feel free to email Pastor Chuck at chuck at crossroadschurch.com. We'll see you this week.